Hello everyone, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Today's show is one of a kind. Let me tell you that. I'm going to bring in Tom Weisenbach to talk NFL Week 15. We'll make our picks on the professional gridiron. But before we do that, Bradford Bruns rejoins the show, college football analyst from the St. Louis Media Circle. We're going to preview every bowl game from December 17th up until December 30th. Not counting the New Year's Six games. We're going to do all the early games, preview them all, break it all down. A lot to talk about, so get your bibs ready. It might be messy. College football, pro football on today's Money Mitch Effect. It's real and it's spectacular. And it's next. All right, joining me now on the line, back again, friend of the program, reoccurring guest, Bradford Bruns. Bradford, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch, it is always a pleasure, sir. It is the most wonderful time of the year indeed because I get to discuss all kinds of bull mashups with you, buddy. Oh, yeah, and you know what? The big thing about what we're going to do today, college football bull pick em. a lot of the people listening out there don't realize that we have kind of a history with this. We've done confidence picks. We've done bull pick <laughs> before. This isn't our, our first rodeo. No, not at all. I mean, when you're talking about a ridiculous number of bulls growing in terms of number each and every year, Mitch, we're up to 40 now. It is preposterous. Yes, we understand that. But it is fun to go through each and every one, to dissect, okay, to which team or which bull, we should say, are you going to assign the most points. So, for instance, if you are just absolutely adamant that you say, you know what, Alabama is not only going to wallop Washington by, say, a couple of touchdowns. No, it's going to run a rough shot over the Huskies to the tune of 30 or so points. Then in actuality, if you're the most confident in the Crimson Tide to roll accordingly, you would then give that program, of course, a 40. Now, if you get to the Old Dominions of the world, the Eastern Michigans and so forth, let's just say we may not have the most research. We may not have undertaken the most research on those teams. So you go a little lower on the scale. You go 10 or below. But it's, it's a fun thing to obviously do, and it helps really sift through a ridiculous sea of teams that we have here this winter. That's the biggest thing. We want to let people out there know when we say low confidence. We don't physically do all the research on some of these low-level bowl games. Before we get to that, just a couple guidelines. We've decided in the interest of time we're not going to do the New Year's Six games or the playoff games. We're going to save those lengthier discussions for a future show. It's good to nibble on some appetizers before the main entry. That's kind of where I'm coming from there. Exactly, exactly. Before we get into even the picks, I want to ask you one question about something else in the college football landscape. We haven't had a show since a college football show, Bradford, since the announcement that Lamar Jackson won the Heisman Trophy. So your thoughts on this extraordinary story. I remember the first time you came on the show was before the Florida State game when we weren't sure what to expect from this kid. And look where we are months later where he was pretty much a consensus Heisman Trophy winner. Well, the narrative itself, Mitch, it was so compelling from basically the outset of the season. A lot of people thought that potentially Louisville would be a nice dark horse in the ACC this season, and yet without a full season's worth of action from Lamar Jackson to be able to view, and I have no qualms whatsoever with Jackson being able to take home the hardware. You put his numbers up against anyone else in the country, and it's one thing to just document his prowess through the air, the 30 touchdowns, just the nine picks, about 3,400 yards, but then you throw in everything he did on the ground to nearly 1,600 yards there with the 21 touchdowns, and it's impossible to ignore those flat-out figures. Having said that, though, as much as I like the story, as much as I like what I saw from the 19-year-old throughout the season, I wouldn't have opposed 
one Deshaun Watson actually receiving the award. And I'll tell you why. Because you think about the stretch run, Mitch, of this particular college football season. You think about the way in which it wasn't entirely Lamar Jackson's fault, but Louisville's chances were essentially torpedoed in those last two games. And Lamar Jackson didn't exactly have his shining moments. You think about the last three weeks. He had four passing touchdowns against three picks. He threw those three interceptions in an inexplicable loss to Kentucky final game of the season. He was a one-man band, but he wasn't playing that precise music at the very end. And I look at Watson, and I just think of this model of consistency, Mitch, throughout the season. You think about, think of his numbers from 2015. Then fast forward one year. Last season, 35 TDs, 13 picks, 67.8% completion rate. This season, 37 TDs, 15 interceptions, and had a completion percentage of 67.6. And bear in mind, all of this happened with Clemson certainly bearing that target on its back throughout the season. I think that Deshaun Watson, quite frankly, his accolades were taken for granted a little bit. Watson, to me, had was a victim of having higher standards. We expected more because yeah. of last season. The Heisman Trophy, historically, at least in recent history, has not been given to guys, or has been given to guys that have had losses. RG3's team had four losses at Baylor. Tebow lost mm-hmm. four games at Florida. Mm-hmm. But it's all about the numbers, kind of regardless of win-loss. And that's a good observation, too, because last year, in a sense, Mitch, you really had the best of both worlds. You had the otherworldly numbers that were produced by Derrick Henry, but also you're certainly attaching him to the forefront of the success there, the rampant success for Alabama. I do tend to notice that more in the college game and that individual narrative. If you are putting up eye-popping numbers and you are doing it without the assistance of any sort of a really competent supporting cast, and clearly I think you could make that argument in relation to Louisville. Again, there's no problem at all in my book with Jackson having that award. Good for him. I can't wait to see how he's able to follow up on that, though, because I think what's going to be really compelling, it is so much harder the second time around when everybody's viewed that team, when everybody is squarely putting the focus on stopping you. Lamar Jackson, youngest Heisman Trophy winner ever. Fantastic season. A remarkable journey for him. But all right, it's time now to discuss the Bulls. This is the, the pick'em section of our show. And we're going to go through these bowl games pretty much in order, but we're going to start at the very beginning, Bradford. Here we go. The, the Air Force Reserve Celebration Bowl in Atlanta. NC Central versus Grambling State. Man, I've been waiting for this game. I'll tell you what, Mitch. It is as compelling as it gets there with respect to that matchup. And, again, we're talking about, of course, a pair of programs about which you must not be or may not be the most familiar there. And when you're talking about a Grambling State, I think immediately I'm not even going to lie to you up front. I'm thinking about the marching band. I'm thinking about some pop and circumstance, some music there to a certain degree. But... Look, we're doing confidence for this as well for our listeners, and I don't know how anybody could have really high confidence in a lot of these early games, this one included. For the heck of it, I will go with Grambling State and put three on that program. Okay. I'll say NC Central about it. I'll say it to two, just because just I know there's probably at least one more game coming up that's going to be less. But And just for the record, we're going to just ballpark these figures. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be duplicating some of these numbers, but we're just kind of giving you an idea of how we feel. All right, the next one on the list is the New Mexico Bowl, the Gilded New Mexico Bowl, New Mexico versus UTSA, Texas San Antonio. And I'll, I'll lead this one yeah, off, Bradford. I'm going to say Utsa. I thought they played some teams pretty tough. They've been a trap game for a couple of years. I know they got to go into hostile territory in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but 
I'm going Utsa here. You're going upset with this great story with a team, Mitch, in its first ever bowl appearance. I like where you're going there, my friend, but I can't quite side with the team with the 500 record here, especially in light of the fact that it has to go up against a New Mexico team. Throw aside, cast to the side, my friend, the location of this contest, and I'm just looking at New Mexico, period, and that rushing offense. This is among the very best ground attacks in the entire country. I'm thinking about what it did against Wyoming. Seven touchdowns alone, plus nearly 600 yards to boot on the ground versus Wyoming. This Lobos team, it does really score in bunches, and I just think the offense is going to be too much to overcome for UTSA. I love the novelty factor here. I love the experience, but you've got to build that in the postseason setting, and I think New Mexico is going to show how it's done. I'm going to say about a four on the confidence scale. But, hey, if I'm going to take a team plus seven, it might as well be in the Guild in New Mexico Bowl. Give me a ten. Give me a ten. <laughs> wow, all right. Well, here's one that's not two poor teams. This is the Las Vegas Bowl. And every year we have these crazy bowl games to get us going. I think the Las Vegas Bowl is at the top of that list. Presented by Geico, Houston takes on San Diego State. Had to get the sponsorship in there. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I think, quite frankly, it seems too early in the bowl slate. And I say that because we understand how effective, how ridiculously excellent Houston can be on the offensive end. And yet again, how many times did we see this season some bouts of inconsistency, weight at the quarterback position? He's very, very capable of engineering a bit that big-time victory. We saw that against Louisville. And I think maybe some aspect that goes a little bit under the radar when you're talking about this Houston team, the Cougars, and all the offensive prowess, too, They've got a defensive lineman in Ed Oliver who's among the very best in the country. He's but a freshman. That's going to be very important because you think about the way in which San Diego State loves to operate. This is a 10-win team. It's an underrated team, in my opinion, somebody who isn't underrated. I would have given him maybe a little more Heisman love myself, though, to Nell Pumphrey. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a guy who's just 110 yards short, Mitch, of breaking Ron Dane's all-time record, career rushing record, at the FBS level, and yet he doesn't seem to get a lot of individual love. I really enjoy this matchup, kind of strength versus strength. I am somewhat interested, too, when you think about the component here of Tom Herman, obviously vacating the spot there for Houston moving forward. Major Applewhite, he gets the promotion. He's coming aboard. The one thing I do know, and I can't, I can't favor Houston necessarily or favor San Diego State in particular by a ton of points, but the points will come in an abundance here. This thing very well could approach, in my opinion, the century mark. I can't wait for this one to kick it off on Saturday. One of my main mantras for in my manifesto for picking bowl games is the coach that leaves picking against that team. Ah. In this case, mm -hmm. I got to go San Diego State. They do have some big wins over some Power 5 conference teams. I am on Team Pumphrey. I think he was vastly underrated his entire college career. I just don't know what kind of yeah. Houston team we're going to see. They got up for big games, but then they had the letdown right after. The loss to Memphis was really... Uh, I think a reflection of them and then a coach that was in transition. And I don't know that they're going to be ready to play this game. It's the Las Vegas Bowl. We see a lot of craziness in it. They better be ready right from the beginning. But I like San Diego State in this one. How I'll we... take Aztecs as oh. well. Keeping my number, though, relatively low, let's say six. I'll go eight. I'm feeling a little froggy in that eight to ten range. I think this could be one where the Aztecs put on a show about how underrated All they right. are. And hold your horses now. We go to Montgomery, Alabama for the... The Raycom Media Bowl, we'll call it that. It's Appalachian State versus Toledo. <laughs> okay. Now, I, I'll let you lead off because I'm at a loss for words that this is an actual bowl game. <laughs> hey, 
It's yes, it's one of your your classic names, classic labels, no question about that. But how quickly we do forget, I think, that App State nearly shocked the world. Think back to opening night against Tennessee. App State got the nation's attention. Looking at this game though, and looking about at what App State's going to have to do against Toledo. So many different people, Mitch, are talking about Kareem Hunt, the running back for Toledo, probably being the best player on the field, and for a good reason. But I'm thinking about Logan Woodside, the signal caller, and a really fun fact here, he actually has the second-best passing efficiency in the entire country this season. When you're thinking about this Rockets offense and thinking about how it can put points on the board, I just don't know if the Mountaineers' defense, it has been stout in spots this season, I don't know if they can keep up throughout the duration of four quarters. I will go with Toledo, and I'm going to put a 13 spot up for those Rockets. Okay, well, I'm going to keep it with the low rating. I'm going to go in the 7 range, and I'm going to go. I hate picking against the Mac, but I'm going Appalachian State. I want to see oh. I want to see that Appalachian State team that did almost beat Tennessee at Tennessee. Some skill there. I think they can win this game. Two 9-win teams, that might be even more surprising than the actual bowl name here. But I'm going Appalachian State. And we do have... A couple more games left on Saturday, the first day of bowl games, a full slate there. We go now to the AutoNation Cure Bowl in Orlando, Florida. UCF, Central Florida, taking on Arkansas State. So I, I know what I'm doing Saturday night. Candidly, I would be much more interested if Robert Smith were actually playing for one of these two teams, and you know the Robert Smith to which I'm referring, not the former running back. I think that would be more compelling. But no, we're not going to have the Cure lead singer. We're going to have two teams match with a robust combined record of 13 and 11. If that doesn't get you absolutely locked onto the couch, I don't know what will. I will say this. UCF, think about last season, 2015. This team went winless, right? Arkansas State this season, earlier in the year, had more, I would say, in the way of prospects, more in the way of aspirations. This is a tough one for me to call for a lot of different reasons. I'm not going to put the house, bet the house by any means on UCF, but I will kind of ride that roll, that wave, little mini wave of momentum, finishing off the season on a right note, really trying to take that next leap as a program. So, yeah, absolutely. Give me, give me UCF here. I'm running out of low numbers, so I think I haven't used five yet. I'm going to agree with you. I'll say UCF. I like the team that's on the rise. I, I don't really have the Arkansas State game day package, so I haven't really been following them as closely as I've wanted to. I think this is a game for them, and I think this is one where, you know, if they're staying local, I think they could win it. Hey, only so many hours in the day, but I know that you have the Arkansas State tape just piled up on the DVR. You'll get through it during the offseason, don't worry. I haven't gotten to it yet. It's like some TV shows on Netflix binge-watching and then Arkansas State football. All right, moving on now to the New Orleans Bowl. Louisiana Lafayette and Southern Miss, and we have again, I think this might be our first one, two six and six teams going at it. The Raging Cajuns have actually played in four of these in a row and have won all four of them. Now, Southern Miss is a ridiculously erratic team. You're talking about a group that's turned the ball over 30 times. You're talking about a group that's playing for its fifth coach in the span of nine years. Stability, not exactly at the forefront there for Southern Miss, but... The difference here, in my opinion, is that Nick Mullinsey's back at quarterback. That addition can really help, I think, stabilize things to a certain degree. Louisiana Tech, you think about exactly how that team was dispatched, of course, by the Golden Eagles in the Conference USA West Championship game. So I think here, in what could be an entertaining game without question, I will go with Southern Miss. I want to attach a lot of points there, though. Let's keep it to, I'll say, seven. Well, I do know a few players in this game. Nick Mullins at Southern Miss is, is pretty good. Yeah. Um, 
When I think of Raging Cajuns, I think of two things. I think of Jimmy Carville, old school, and I think of Louisiana Lafayette. And I think they're going to pull it off here because every year it seems like I fall against the Louisiana Lafayette hype train and they burn me. So I think they have a pretty good bull record recently. And I'm going to do an about face and go with the Raging Cajuns in this game. He's calling it five consecutive verdicts for the Raging Cajuns. All right. Now we move on to Monday, December 19th, still talking college football bowl preview with Bradford Bruns on the Money Mitch Effect. And one game on the 19th, it's the Miami Beach Bowl in Miami, Florida. Central Michigan takes on Tulsa. I will say this, though. The Miami Beach Bowl two years ago had one of my favorite moments of bowl season, which was a melee between, I think it was BYU and uh, Memphis. So I don't know if they can top that, but in this contest, i got to get back in my good graces of uh, my fellow Maction fans. I'm going to take Central Michigan. If you actually have memories, fond or otherwise, of the Miami Beach Bowl, then something had to have, yes, precipitated a brawl, a melee, something along those lines. But here's what I'm going to say. I think about the Tulsa offensive attack, and I think about all the numbers, and you can put as much stock as you want into the fact that this offense technically is ranked number six in the country. Well, the bottom line for me is that Golden Hurricanes just put up 59 points on Memphis. Memphis, of course, knocked off Houston not that long ago. So that's some sort of weird distributive property stuff that I'm rolling with here. Mm -hmm. And the Chiefs, period, they've lost four of the last five. They're not entering this game on a proper note whatsoever. Give me Tulsa in this case, and Tulsa fairly comfortably, too. Wait for it, wait for it. Oh, 14 for Tulsa on Monday evening, Monday afternoon. I'm going to go Central Michigan 7. I know they, they had the win, the controversial win over Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State. I just think this game could be one where it'll prove my notion that it's an entirely different season. It's almost like it doesn't even connect to the regular season how much after the fact yeah. these games are being played. So we'll have, to, we'll have to see. That does it for Monday. Now Tuesday, December 20th, there's one ball. It's the Boca Raton Bowl. Memphis takes on Western Kentucky. How do you see this one going? Western Kentucky, when you think about the Hilltoppers, Mitch, you think about a ridiculous passing offense. Number five in the country. The Tigers right now really struggling, I would argue, in the defensive backfield there. I'm not necessarily sold on this being a blowout. I will go with Western Kentucky, but the fact that this team gave up 502 yards to Louisiana Tech on the ground, it gives maybe a little bit of hope to the Memphis fan base. So in a fairly tight one, Boca Raton Bowl style, I will go with the Hilltoppers. I'm going to disagree again. There's been a lot of that. I like Memphis in this game for that reason you brought up. Stole the words out of my mouth. They've been getting lit up on the ground defensively. And I think Memphis, riding high after that Houston win, can come in, come in and make plays. And I think they could get the job done here. I know Western Kentucky's got the flashy offense, but I think Memphis, I mean, I just referenced their fight a little earlier ago, so I think they'll show some fight in this game and, and pull off the win. Surely could go one way or the other. This one is staying in that five range for me, no doubt about it. Yeah, I'm down at about two on this one. This is one of my least confident picks. <laughs> I don't really know what's going to happen. I got gotcha. you. BYU-Wyoming, speaking of things I don't know what's going to happen in the game, they face off on Wednesday the 21st in the poinsettia bowl. BYU-Wyoming, the one thing I know about this going in, Bradford, is that BYU had a lot of near wins this year, but didn't seem to yeah. come out with victories in any of those close games. But yeah, these two programs may not have met a lot in this particular setting, Mitch, but all time, actually, I was going through some of the numbers and somewhat startled me to think that these two teams, BYU and Wyoming, have actually gotten after it 77 times throughout the course of history. And both of these teams this year, each one played seven games 
decided by eight or fewer. Wyoming here, it's in a bowl for the first time in five years. BYU has a bit more pedigree in that regard. Now, Jason Villa is going to play a quarterback right now for the Cougars. You've got Mangum coming back in, but with the familiarity there, I think that on both sides of the football, BYU just has a little too much power. Can Wyoming control the possession? Can it be able to secure the football for long enough to keep away from the fast-paced Cougars? I don't know about that. I will go with talent. I'll go with Bayou, BYU by, let's say, nine. Well, this is going to be about a six for me, and I think Wyoming is going to win. The fact that BYU can't win close games, I think this, that's what exactly what we're in store for is two evenly matched teams. And while BYU is, I guess, a fast-paced team, I think Wyoming could win here. I think they could go into San Diego. They can avoid the, the temptations of all the other uh, San Diego, San Diegans, I should say. And I think they're going to win this game. So I'd have no real reason to base this on. It's just a hunch that I have. And I'm usually wrong in these situations. So why stop now? Play it. We've got, oh my goodness, I think that's an unofficial count here. Three in a row we disagree on. That's the beauty of bowl season. Let's keep it rolling. It is. And now it's time for one of my favorite early week bowl games. December 22nd, we're going up to Boise for the Idaho Potato Bowl. And what, as luck would have it, we have a team from Idaho in the game. It's Idaho taking on Colorado State. With a confidence of about 16, I'm going to say Colorado State wins this one fairly handily. And I'll go, yes, even higher than that. Actually, first of all, during the season of giving, during the Christmas season, you can't go with a program nicknamed the Vandals. You simply can't. Corny joke aside, let's talk a little bit more about the actual tangible things that Colorado State has going forward. This is a team that not long ago knocked off San Diego State. I think we both really like the Aztecs. Also took down Wyoming that we just talked about, too. Has been able to undergo or weather, we should say, really a storm of injuries at the quarterback spot. Idaho has been too inconsistent at quarterback for me this season. I think Colorado State is more than a notch above what Idaho is bringing. And Idaho, it's nice to get another little tidbit here, back in a bowl for the first time since 2009. I think Colorado State just bulldozes all over the Vandals here. Yeah, the only thing that worries me about this game, obviously the Colorado State quarterback situation, but also, we don't have one of my favorite bowl traditions is the team from a coastal area going up to Idaho in December. I'm so upset about it. Yeah, that. what's with that? <laughs> I want to see shivering on the sidelines. That's really what, really why I watch this game. But no, I, I agree with you here. I think Colorado State wins as we continue on in this bowl preview show with Brad from Bruns on the Money Mitch Effect. We've worked our way up to December 23rd. It is the Popeye's Bahamas Bowl. Because when I think of the Bahamas, I think of Popeye's Chicken. Eastern Michigan takes on Old Dominion. How do you see it going, Bradford? Which one of these two-story programs gets the W? Mitch, how about this, though? How about a locale? Pretty cool spot for two teams that basically have no idea what bowl season about. You think about Old Dominion football. I don't believe that the Monarchs, from a football standpoint, have ever had any sort, any semblance of postseason experience. This is a first-time deal all the way around. And Eastern Michigan by no means is any sort of a powerhouse in this regard. Eastern Michigan is going to a bowl for the first time in 29 years. But at the end of the day, I will go with a little bit of momentum here. I'll go back to that train. I will write it. And I'll say that Old Dominion, it has to stand for something. You only turn it over nine times all season long. When games can get crazy, when they can get ridiculously frenetic, give me a team that is pretty 
well attuned to being able to hold on to that football. I'll go with the Monarchs, and I'll say ninth win in the last 10 contests. I'm going to say Eastern Michigan, and this is going to be my lowest confidence of the <laughs> of the day with the one. I, I, I'm going to stay just because of the Maxion reputation, and I have no book on Old Dominion. It's in the Bahamas. We've seen some wacky things happen in this game. I like Eastern Michigan here. And I do apologize. There are two other games on the 23rd. Spoke a little out of turn. One of them being the Armed Forces Bowl, Louisiana Tech, taking on Navy. Navy back at 9-3, the heartbreaking loss to Army. But they finish 9-3, and three, and they will play Louisiana Tech. Bradford, how does this game pan out? Yeah, the midshipmen are not going to be happy whatsoever. That was a shocking loss to Army. And as always, you look at the option attack, obviously, for Navy. You look about the way in which it's able to pile up yards on the ground. And a sobering thing for Louisiana Tech coming in at 8-5 is, hey, just a few weeks ago against Western Kentucky, Western Kentucky better known, of course, for its aerial exploits, Tech gave up 253 on the ground in the Conference USA title game. Maybe we've seen it time and time again, Mitch, on an annual basis when it comes to the world. So many teams are just overwhelmed today, even though they have time to prepare, certainly, for this new innovative attack. It's just the lack of familiarity there. Maybe it's going to pile up the yards on the ground. There's going to be a lot of scoring, period, I think, in this contest. And I'll go with Navy by, let's say, 11 to emerge victorious in the Armed Forces Bowl. I like Navy as well. I don't think Louisiana Tech is going to feel as at home in the Armed Forces Bowl as Navy. But all jokes aside, I think they bounce back. That's what this program's done. I like them to win here. And next, we got to talk about the bowl that's just sweeping the internet, the Dollar General Bowl. It's going to be Ohio University taking on Troy. But yeah, this is a bowl game. I double-checked that. It is a bowl game. And I have no idea how it's going to, yeah. how it's going to uh, turn out on the field. You're telling me that as a proud native, the great state of Ohio, you can't come up with a fair amount of information, a fair amount of evidence as to why Ohio is going to prevail over Troy. I am a little bit disappointed. Here's the thing, though. I actually think, I don't know how it's going to pan out because Troy's not a bad team either. They've been getting votes no. in the AP poll for quite some time, a little under the radar. I'm leaning... Yeah towards Troy in this game in a very low confidence. As much as it pays me to go against the Bobcats, I think Troy is a very good team. They, they actually played Clemson pretty tough, and I think they're going to they're gonna show out here. Yeah, a little over a month ago, Troy, uh, of all teams, and we can joke and so forth, but Troy was, yes, ranked firmly in the top 25. Then you had that loss to Arkansas State, and it wasn't just a loss. They were blown up by 32 points, and Ohio doesn't have a great number of signature victories all campaign long a lot of tight games 10 of the 13 games actually as a matter of fact have been decided by 10 or fewer troy does have more explosiveness on paper troy did show out in the first few weeks of this season i'm going to say that the program actually reverts to form and i'll put 10 on this actually i'll put 10 on troy yeah i'm thinking around the 11 range for troy as well and the only bowl game on christmas eve the tradition that keeps on giving the hawaii bowl Hawaii at six and seven. They're in a bowl game, taking on Middle Tennessee at eight and four. I gotta go. Wait a Hawaii. second, I have, to, I have to stop you. This is <laughs> alert, alert, alert. We have our first sub five hundred team that we're oh, paying attention to. We're first gonna get sub five hundred yeah. team. Watch out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we're gonna. I'm gonna have a lot to share about it in the next game. But in this particular game, at six and seven, we know the reason they're in this game is because they had to play Cal in Australia week one. Not a favorable matchup for them. How could you go against Hawaii in the Hawaii Bowl? No disrespect to Middle Tennessee, but I like Hawaii confidence of about 12 here. 
It would be tough. Well, I will say this. Middle Tennessee, I had, as you well know, Mitch, the great misfortune all season long of chronicling the University of Missouri-Columbia. And the Tigers had Middle Tennessee State a few weeks ago come into Furrow Field and basically walk up and down the field, run up and down the field all over them. I'm also heartened if I'm a Middle Tennessee supporter, not just by the eight wins during the regular season, but by the fact that Brent Stockdale, the quarterback, is coming back, renewed health for Middle Tennessee, for the Blue Raiders. Yes, we can't stop absolutely anyone. But in these early season bowl matchups, how many defenses actually do, especially when they're going up against teams? that aren't necessarily that familiar to them. I know it's in Hawaii. I know it just seems so counterintuitive to go with Middle Tennessee, but because I've actually watched this team for four full quarters this season, give me the Blue Raiders. Wow. All right. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> By five. Living dangerously. You too like to live dangerously. Okay. Well, I'm going to also <laughs> make an announcement right now that we're, in the interest of time, we're going to go through the 30th, the non-New Year's Six games that go on the 30th. So that's where we'll, we'll break this up. So if you're looking for some further games, that'll be on a future show. As we move on to after Christmas, the St. Petersburg Bowl, Miami of Ohio versus Mississippi State. All right, look. Here's the thing. Mississippi State's 5-7. and seven. And if we're going to start letting 5-7 and seven teams into bowl games, why stop there, Bradford? Why not have teams like Notre Dame that are 4-8 and eight that are a disaster. I want to see what they look like. I want to see what Texas and Tom Herman looks like with that messy program. If we're going to open up Pandora's box, let's really open it up. Well, according to the NCAA, Mitch, if you have the academic credentials, dot, 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 I'll let you fill in the rest of that sentence. Yeah, because I think of Mississippi State as uh, <laughs> academic credentials. So you're right there. That's a, that's a very Ash good point. Yes. <laughs> In this game, Miami of Ohio that started the season 0-6 and, and got to a bowl game at 6-6, six six, I'm going oh to put a 25-pointer on Mississippi State in this game. If you ever 25. try to get me to get an SEC school to lose to a MAC team, I think that might be when I retire my microphone. Due to the fact, though, Mitch, that Dak Prescott is actually experiencing his first real conundrum or problem spot, I would argue, in the pros and again, relating to a timely release at the multiplex. Now, is there going to be a disturbance in the force for the Bulldogs entering this contest? No, you know what? I am totally reaching here. Still, give me that SEC also ran over Miami of Ohio any day of the week. Athleticism, power, talent, all of these ingredients under consideration. Yeah, I know Mississippi State didn't do anything during the season, but for crying out loud, Miami of Ohio, you said it, started the year Oh, and six. Nothing else needs to be said. Can we can we do research too and see if Miami of Ohio's ever beat Mississippi State in any sport? I just I want to check. I'm not up on my research when it comes to volleyball and even water polo. I can't actually confirm if those athletic programs exist, but I can research. Maybe we'll have to see. All right, the Quick Lane Bowl, Boston College versus Maryland, 500 Bowl, as I like to call it. Who do you mm -hmm. got? This is actually one of our first Power 5 matchups, right? You've got Boston College against yeah. Maryland, and the Terrapins, for me, are a favorite in this game, albeit a slight one, Mitch, because I'm not sold on Boston College's defense. I know that this is technically a top-10 unit, but let's be honest, padded those numbers against four really weak non-conference foes. I like Maryland here in what should be a low-scoring game, not by too many, though, from a confidence standpoint. So let's keep it to roughly six or seven. 
Stylistically, this game might be unbearable to watch. I'll just put it bluntly. Uh, and I'm yeah. going Boston College mostly because I've seen more of Maryland this year. So I, I might be wrong. Uh -huh. I'm going to say low lower confidence of about, I think I've used up all mine, so I'll probably put it at that 12 range. But, hey, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going to happen here. The Independence Bowl also happens on the 26th, North Carolina State versus Vanderbilt. All due respect to Derek Mason's program, I like the Wolfpack in this one. I think their big win over North Carolina, a little bigger than Vanderbilt's win over Tennessee, I think that's going to get them going into this game. And I, I'm not going to turn my back on the Wolfpack. No, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head because we understand that Vanderbilt, the offense still has a long way to go to be able to catch up to the defense. I can't put a ton of stock in that victory for Vanderbilt over Tennessee. I just can't. I'm very impressed by the Wolfpack's triumph over North Carolina. To me, this is going to be a deceptively entertaining tilt. There is a fair amount of talent on both sides of the ball, and in a very, very tight squeaker of the game, I know we have to start going up with the points, but here I have, I still think that I have a full spot available, if I recall, so just by a slim margin, I'll go with NC State by four. I'll go 14. I don't know if I've used that number, but I, I think it's going to be a pretty pretty decisive win there for the Wolfpack. Ah. All right. The Heart of Dallas Bowl. I'm gonna we'll try to spend as little time on this as possible. It's December 27th. Army takes on North Texas. Five and seven. North Texas. Congratulations. You're going bowling. And this is what I was talking about. I'd rather see a Notre Dame team at four and eight or, or Texas in there or whoever. But hey, we got North Texas at five and seven. As big as Army's win was, I think North Texas wins the Dallas Bowl. It just makes too much sense. Whoa. <laughs> Frankly, I thought that you were traveling along the track toward disrespecting the mean green, and then you throw me for a loop for Army. <laughs> for Army with the six victories now overall, coming on the heels of that victory over Navy, I can't justify going with North Texas here. I mean, the offense, as heralded as it, as it was to a certain degree, I don't think that there will be any semblance of consistency from possession to possession. I like Army. I will go. I will roll with the armed forces here. And I'm going to do it by 22. 22, buddy. Wow. Quite yeah. confident. That's quite confident. Well, as we go to December 27th, this might be the game that I look forward to the most. For a lot of reasons. And, and you wouldn't have even caught me saying that. I would have had to uh, undergo shock therapy if I said that less than a week ago. But the military bull. Temple versus Wake Forest. Temple's 10-3. and three. And you know my rule about, and my Matt rule actually, leaving the program and coaching somewhere uh -huh. else, usually a, a telltale sign to not pick that team. But, and I'll let you in on a little secret here, Bradford, that rule gets trumped by an even more important rule, don't pick a team that was giving away their plays that had a mole on their staff. So I'm going to go Temple here. <laughs> yes, wait, is anyone in this country, is anyone around the campus in close proximity to Wake Forest actually focusing on the bowl game matchup at all? No, absolutely not. After the tumultuous events of the past week or so there at press box and whatnot, the Demon Deacons are not talking about a ridiculously lofty program in terms of accomplishments here. Temple, very solid season. Temple capable of putting up a lot of points. All of that considered. I know Matt Rule, he's off to Baylor, as you refer to as well, but Temple's going to win big here. There's no way that the Owls don't. Winning big to the tune of 25 confidence points I'm at 31. I love Temple in this game. Oh! Well, let's live dangerously. Uh -huh. And, speaking of living dangerously, the game with the most twists and turns maybe every year, the Holiday Bowl, Minnesota versus Washington State. I'm a Big Ten guy, but Bradford, 
Mike Leach is, is one of my guys in college football. I think his Cougars take out the Minnesota Gophers. And I'll spare you the drama. I like this to the tune of 23, 23 confidence points. How about that? I will take the easy joke here and say that Leach's crew will certainly make Minnesota walk the plank. This look, for Minnesota, the Big Ten West schedule was extremely favorable. I'm not trying to in any way condemn or criticize or really pick excessive holes in what Minnesota was able to accomplish. But eight wins, it seemed very generous. It seemed like a good point at which to stop. Luke Fall is unbelievably talented. I'm not putting 500, 500 plus yards out of the realm of possibility here. Washington State is going to roll. Washington State is going to roll by 29. Ooh, okay. Oh, man. Feeling, uh-huh. it. Feeling it in this one. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to the posts and pregame pressers. As long as Leach is there, you know it's going to be an exciting event. He's assured that. Hey, you've got us. another fan of the pirate lover in me. Hey. <laughs> yeah, he loves pirates. He doesn't sleep. Little known fact about Mike Leach, he actually is nocturnal. All right, the Cactus Bowl, Boise State and Baylor. Now, th- <laughs> there's a lot to, to digest in this game. I know Rule's going to be there, but probably won't be as hands-on as he will be. Gosh, you know, I yeah. never thought I'd see the day where I was picking Boise State in, this, in a matchup of this magnitude, but here I am, Boise State, to the tune of 19 confidence points. And I'm with you there. I'm going to ramp it up that much more, buddy, and I'm going to say 24, actually, because Baylor, yes, coaching change, coaching shift, and methodology aside, this is a team that's absolutely reeling coming into this contest, and I'm going to look beyond that loss for Boise State to Air Force. I'm going to look at that as an anomaly. And for the Broncos, I think about discipline here. I think about a team that absolutely knows where it's going, whereas on the opposite end of the spectrum, Baylor has so much to sift through mm-hmm. and so much to figure out. And again, I'm talking about a number actually approaching around 30 here as well. Oh, I don't wow. think it's right. going to be particularly close. I'm really, really behind Boise State. Strange times. We're both on the Boise State bandwagon. All right, now... <laughs> The Pinstripe Bowl, Northwestern and Pitt. I like Pitt here. I think it's a pretty sure pick. I'm going to say 32. I'm really ramping it up. I think John Connor, the Terminator, is going to have himself a great game. And the only drama in this game to me is whether or not they let Derek Jeter pick out the gift baskets that are going to be given to players in this game. Oh, that, that rumor wasn't actually dispelled? No, it wasn't. No. It's going to last forever. As it should. <laughs> no, Pittsburgh, it's funny because you think about Panthers' really impressive year at 8-4. I didn't like what I saw from Northwestern down the stretch. Now, Pittsburgh can be inconsistent, but even so, I think there is a definite, definite talent disparity here. And I will we'll go with Pittsburgh, not by quite as many, but still 25-26. to 26. So I'm feeling the Panthers, too. And we continue on on the Wednesday, December 28th slate of games with the Russell Athletic Bowl, West Virginia versus Miami, the U. Games in Orlando, Florida. With that said, though, I like Dana Holgerson and his West Virginia Mountaineers team. Yes, yes, and I really like that defense, too. It's a hard-hitting unit. It's a secondary that is very opportunistic, generates a lot of turnovers, and I understand that at the quarterback position, so many people want to throw their support behind Miami, and Miami can be a very entertaining team to watch, too. But I think about how West Virginia, for the better part of the season, Mitch, was able to really control the line of scrimmage, too. And I like the Mountaineers. I watched them a couple of times throughout the season. I watched them absolutely dismantle Missouri for the first half in that season opener and improved a great deal from there, too. West Virginia here. I'll go I'll go with 22. Okay. I was thinking about 
about 15. I still think Miami can be dangerous. Yeah. They won some big games. Hey, Dana Holgerson, I like that. I want to see more of his big urn, McCracken hairstyle. I think it's great for the game, and it makes everybody appreciate it that much more. West Virginia here. Yeah. Indiana, Utah is also a Wednesday 20th. It's the Foster Farms Ball on Wednesday the 28th in Santa Clara, California. You know, I really realize now as I look at this game that I'm really picking against the Big Ten, but I'm going to keep it going. I don't think Indiana's that good. I like Utah in this game. Confidence level of about 24. I'm with you there. I'll go 20 here just because the Utes, bear in mind as well, didn't exactly, Mitch, have a terrific in to the campaign either. Losing three of four, having said that, really ran through the gauntlet of Pac-12 competitors so high on that conference this season. I really was. And I love the job that Kyle Whittingham is doing with his program. Indiana, to me, to say that it was a rocky end to the season, that would be a huge understatement. It doesn't feel like a 6-6 six and six team. It feels like a team that is honestly going backward. I will go with Utah and Utah by a comfortable margin. I think that Utah is able to get enough down on the ground as well as through the air here. I think that the offense, at least some portions of it, is still criminally underrated. And I'm looking forward. I really am to seeing what Whittingham is able to do going into 2017. I'm interested to see if Utah becomes even that much more of a player next season in the Pac-12. I'm high on I'm really bullish on Utah. Yeah, Utah looked good early, stumbled late, but I think they can make some plays and really turn this into a route. And the last game on the 28th, a really hard one to pick for me, the Texas Bowl, the Advocare Texas Bowl. Got to get the, the words out there. Texas A&M, Kansas State, it's a uh, throwback to their Big 12 rivalry. I really am not that high on either team, which makes this a compelling matchup, but I'm going to go back to, I think I have a 12 spot left. I'm going to say Texas A&M wins this one, even without Trevor Knight. And for the Aggies, boy, talk about falling from that perch being ranked fourth in the initial CFP rankings, but now at 8-4 trying to salvage the year to some extent, and in a game that should be exceedingly tight. You know what? I'm going to throw my support to Bill Snyder. I think that he is going to have his Kansas State team incredibly focused. I'll go a little lower on the confidence spectrum. I will go with 10, but I'm going to say Kansas State actually gets it done through sheer execution against the Aggies. So talking with Bradford Bruns on the Money Mitch Effect, we're going to try to get through about seven more of these games all the way through Friday, leave one Friday game, the Michigan-Florida State game, off the radar, but we'll try to get through the rest. As we go to the 29th, South Florida and South Carolina in the Birmingham Bowl, Oh, man. All right. Well, I, you know, I'm going to have to go back to what is South Florida going to look like without Taggart as their coach? Give me, give me the Gamecocks here. You know, you, of course, consider that record of 10-2, and two, but right now with that change at the top, yeah, what exactly is going to happen? I do like what I saw from South Carolina actually down the stretch. This was a bounce-back season, you knew, with Muschamp coming in taking over at the helm there that there were going to be some growing teams. But I think this program is starting to move back in the right direction. And who knows, next season, Mitch, in 2017, being in the SEC East, for crying out loud, this team could very well be competing for the very tough spot. I think the path to that point actually begins right here. Give me the SEC again. I will go into default mode, taking the Gamecocks over South Florida. And I'll actually put 13 on this one in favor of South Carolina. Well, I like around that 18 range myself, but I like South Carolina Mm -hmm. here. So the Belk Bowl, one of my all-time favorites in Charlotte, is Arkansas versus Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech, ACC title game, played Clemson tough, kind of an up-and-down year. Arkansas the same? 
You know what? I'm going to ride with Arkansas. I'm riding with the big boy, Brett Bielema. I like the Razorbacks here. I actually, prior to the regular season finale, Mitch, for the Hawks, I probably would have operated along the same lines as you are, my friend. But what I saw firsthand in terms of covering that Missouri-Arkansas game, the complacency, the predictability Mm -hmm. of the Arkansas offense, it just isn't diverse enough for me to be able to hang with Virginia Tech. And I'm not trying to put too much stock, a ridiculous amount of it, in just what Virginia Tech was able to do against Clemson. I'm looking at the entire season, and I think about the Hokies coming up with those nine wins, coming up in the first season under Justin Fuente, taking over for Frank Beamer. And I think this team is ahead of schedule, if you will. I like the Hokies. I like the Hokies in this environment. And I'm going to actually take them by 16 to knock off the Hogs because I simply don't know what type of team for Bielema is going to show up on that night. Exactly. I think you can kind of say the same about Virginia Tech. I'll go 14 <laughs> for Arkansas. And we know how good the barbecue is in Missouri. I think, you know, Bielema could have got distracted. I think there's, there's some ah. there. But we'll have to That's see. That's true, buddy. You're only a couple of hours away from Kansas City. You can, uh, you can feel it. You can taste it. All right. The Liberty. We're going to save the Alamo Bowl for the end of the show. But the Liberty Bowl on Friday, December 30th from Memphis, Georgia versus TCU. Talk about two programs you have no idea what to expect. Yeah. I'm going I'm to take a shot in the dark and say TCU in this one. Georgia just collapsed down the stretch. And I'll say about 16 confidence points. That's very true, and I thought that was that was uncharacteristic of a team, and you, you can't exactly say, oh, you know, Georgia, for instance, under the first-year coach in Kirby Smart, that you expected necessarily the Bulldogs to finish with a flurry, but given how the season began, and given, I'll reinforce this once more, the weakened state, the ridiculously weakened state of the SEC East, I expected better out of Georgia. Didn't come to fruition. Still, TCU, for me, was a grand disappointment all season long. I don't like the Horned Frogs defense whatsoever. And for this year, after going through so many different bumps, bruises, literally and figuratively, give me the Georgia ground attack to get right. Maybe it doesn't matter here in the grand scheme of things at the very end. But I like the talent on that side of the football, the ground game. I'll take Georgia, and I'll actually take Georgia by, let's say, 15. Well, I want to believe you, but every time that I've put faith in Georgia, they've let me down, and you know they could have lost a few more of those games, too. I mean, they yeah, could have lost yeah. a few more, so I still think that TCU is the pick there. Let's talk about the Arizona Bowl between Air Force and South Alabama, and I'm going high on this one to the tune of 33 confidence picks for one of the service academies yet again, Air Force. The Falcons are flying, for lack of a better term, winning five straight. They're nine and three. South Alabama is six and six. Give me Air Force in this one, pretty comfortably. Those Falcons are soaring, baby. You mentioned the winning streak, no question about that. I'll drop it down by five. I'll go to twenty-eight. But I love Air Force entering this matchup. You think about South Alabama, and you think about the victories this season. Not wowed by that win over Mississippi State. Impressed a bit by the verdict over San Diego State. However, I think about the body of work throughout the course of the campaign. I cannot take a team, I can't do it, Mitch, in good conscience, that went 2-6 and six in the Sun Belt. Nope, Air Force. I, but the bowl committee would take a team that was 2-6 and six in the Sun Belt, so here we are with South oh, Alabama. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> why wouldn't you? All right, and now we'll do the Music City Bowl in Nashville, Tennessee, Nebraska versus Tennessee. Look, these are two teams that perennially underachieved this year. I'm not really confident. I'm trying to see what I have left. I think there's a 17 spot in there. I like Tennessee in this game, mainly on proximity of where this game is being played. 
Yeah, I like Tennessee primarily because of Josh Dobbs. He's going to be the difference maker here. I'll go with the balls by 19. There's my number. And I understand you think about the second half of the season, just so much ugliness really pervading the campus there. On Tennessee, you had transfer situations left and right. You had heard, of course, not being dismissed, excuse me, but opting to leave. Of course, we talked about that a few weeks ago. And Nebraska, with all due respect to the Cornhuskers, so much of the attention, so much of the praise that was lavished on that program early in the season, it was the byproduct of a week schedule. Let's be honest about that. Nebraska demonstrated exactly who it was when late November, early December rolled around. And I will go with the SEC again. I can't believe that I'm doing so. I sound like such an apologist here, but I really think the matchups in these instances really favor the Southeastern Conference in a lot of regards. And once again here, Give me that give me that thing, the Music City Bowl. I think Tennessee is Tennessee is ever going to come up with an authoritative performance in two thousand and sixteen. It's going to be right here. Hey, and you know what? The good thing about Tennessee is that even if they don't win this game, they're champions of life. So it's they've already won once. Let's see if they can win again. <laughs> we gotta we gotta you know, we gotta hold Butch Jones accountable for having one of the best quotes hey. of the year. So now two games left. Bradford Bruns on the money Mitch effect. Let's talk about the Sun Bowl, December 30th, North Carolina versus Stanford. One of my favorite matchups. I'm really looking forward to this game. You have Mitch Trubisky, North Carolina, Christian McCaffrey, Stanford. Two hot, hot commodities at the next level. This was a tough one for me to pick. I'm a fan of both of these programs. And Bradford, if they wouldn't have lost the final week of the season, I would probably pick North Carolina here. But I'm going Stanford, 24 confidence. They played well lately. Can't say the same for North Carolina. Wow, almost right on the nose. I'm riding with the Cardinal Mitch by 26 here. And to me, I was a little, frankly, underwhelmed by mm-hmm. North Carolina this season. I expected better than 8-4. Now, I understand, I fathom the level of competition there in the ACC, but I really thought with that offense being among the most prolific in the country that they would get enough stuff on defense to do a little bit better than the Sun Bowl on December the 30th. But here we are, and speaking of programs that didn't live up to expectations, Stanford, in the end, was somehow able to get up to nine victories. And I'm still not sure, given the inconsistency there on offense due to McCaffrey's injuries as well, how the Cardinals were able to pull that off. But at the end of the day also, you're talking about a David Shaw Helms program. You're talking about Christian McCaffrey. In all likelihood, we're probably talking about his final collegiate game. He has a lot to prove. UNC cannot consistently stop the run. This is going to be a signature performance for McCaffrey on the way out. I agree. I think he's going to show out. Trubisky has his chance to prove that he should be the top quarterback drafted. But I think Stanford peaking at the right time. McCaffrey's healthy. I like them to win this game. Defense very underrated down the stretch as well. And then the game I saved for last, in my opinion, the highlight of the early week bowl matchups, it's the Alamo Bowl, Pac-12 versus Big 12, Colorado versus Oklahoma State. Two teams that could have been playing for a lot more but lost the final game of the season. But this is a great matchup. And I'm going to go on the lower end of the confidence scale. I think 22 sounds about right. I like Oklahoma State here. I've been been weighing it back and forth. But I look at Colorado's resume, Bradford, and it's not filled with a lot of good wins. I don't think they're one of the top two, maybe not even top three teams in their own conference. I like Oklahoma State here. And I know the recent history comes into play a lot more for me, sir, but right here I can't ignore the whitewashing that Colorado absorbed at the hands of Washington not that long ago. And for the Buffaloes this season, I, quite frankly, I'm shocked. I really am. With all due respect 
to Mike McIntyre there that this team in the Pac-12, the uber-competitive Pac-12, was able to get to 10 wins. Tip of the cap there. Mm-hmm. Having said that, for a team that for most of the season had legitimate playoff aspirations, I don't think that Colorado right here in the Alamo Bowl is going to be able to measure up to Oklahoma State. Now, this is a team, this is a senior class. It's a program altogether that is very, very comfortable with playing in the postseason, if you will. The Cowboys, they just seem to have more talent on the outside. I think the playmakers are going to make the difference. I love Seppo, a quarterback for Colorado, but I just think that the Cowboys are going to be able to outclass them when it comes to the pace of the game, when it comes to that vertical element over the top. I don't know if the Buffaloes, very exceptional defensive season, but I don't know if the Buffs are going to be able to rebound from that mental blow that lost to Washington and be able to match up against Oklahoma State. Give me the mullet. Give me Gundy. <laughs> I love the mullet. I always appreciate a good mullet. I think there's too many playmakers on that Oklahoma State side of the field. James Washington has been a beast all season. And I'm with you in the sense that Colorado, I think they're a year or two away from really being a force on the national level. I think Oklahoma State gets the job done here. I think this should be a great game. The Alamo Bowl is always full of those games where you know, they surprise us. There's those games when we're not sure what to expect. I think this has all the makings of an instant classic. Well, Bradford Bruns, it was... It was a handful, but we got through most of the bowl games, and we'll have to do part two sometime in the next few weeks. I'll tell you what, sir. We gave the people their fill. We powered through these matchups, not exactly all the Power 5 variety, but it's such an exciting time of year. It really is, and so much of that goes along in equal measure. Yeah, you have the matchups there on paper, but being able to track and kind of earn those bragging rights over your friends, too, if you're into that kind of thing, and you can bet with each and every game, I'm either going to be texting you thereafter, I'm going to be in some way asserting some of that humble bragging because I've got to take you, being a guest and everything, notwithstanding, sir, I've got to take you to school a little bit here because I created that internet confidence pool. You know, I can't let you upstage me there. I can't okay. let you do it. You know, you beat me last year, but it was close. It was closer than I think you remember, <laughs> but we'll have to see if the tables can turn this year. And I think I speak for you when I say to anybody out there listening, we expect you to, to follow our picks. And, and if you win, you know, we're not asking for a lot, just a percentage. If you like to wager on those sort of things, just, you know, hook us up a little bit. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, my friend. No, it should be it should be a blast, though, and it, it all gets started, obviously, this weekend with a five-pick that, or a five-pack, we should say, Houston-San Diego State, that's the main appetizer mm-hmm. for me on Saturday, and then it just builds and builds to that crescendo of the CFP that we're going to talk about in a few weeks. All right, Bradford Brun, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Welcome anytime. Always a pleasure, my friend. Happy holidays to you and yours. A tremendous thanks to Bradford Bruns for coming on the show and having the patience to break down all those college football bowl games early on. I know if you made it through, you're a big college football fan like we are. Thanks for making it through as a listener. But we all know you guys want to watch those games. You might not know exactly what the players are, who the names are in the game, but it's interesting. And and thank you for making it through. Thanks again to Bradford for coming on the show for part one of our bowl preview. Now it's time to talk to Tom Weisenbach. He works at NFL Network. He works at Fox Sports. We're going to break down week 15 in the NFL. It's been a wild ride. The Cowboys lose again to the Giants. We talk about how they can play going forward. Will the Patriots continue to pace in the AFC? Which contenders will be there when the dust settles in three weeks? Tom Weisenbach on the Money Mitch Effect. Here it is.
All right, now it's time to preview another big week, week 15 in the NFL. And joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, Tom Weisenbach, reoccurring guest and friend of the podcast. Thanks for joining the show. No problem, Mitch. Thanks again for having me. This is a interesting time of year. We're getting to the holidays, and now we have Saturday night football as well as the traditional Thursday game. But Tom, Thursday night football on Saturday. Thursday night football on Saturday. That's right. I forget. I got to get my branding right. This league makes you think a little bit. But as a Philly guy, and I'll start with the positive Flyers, ten one, ten in a row. Oh baby, out there. Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> got a gift. We're going to the game January first. Against oh. the Ducks, looking forward to it. Hope they can keep it riding. And well, you know, Gosta Spears going to come back and snipe some goals, and they're just finding ways to win games. I don't know how how the streak is, is is possible. They're climbing the charts in the Eastern Conference. You know, that's exactly it. I watched the game last night against the Avalanche, and it was the craziest. I don't want to say flukiest, but it was just such a weird game. And that the Flyers just find way to find ways to win. There's goals that's allowed, there's controversies at the net, and then here come the Flyers just constantly finding a way to do it. A lot of young talent with a lot of veterans that are hungry to win. So i got to go to the negative side now, and that's the Eagles. I want your thoughts on this. Before we preview the week, I want to hear what you think about what might be the biggest problem for the Eagles. They have a close game at home against the Redskins, who they haven't beaten for quite some time now. What's the one thing getting in their way? Well, I think offensive line depth is one for sure. Chip Kelly only drafted Lane Johnson at his tenure, and they've tried to sign some guys, Brooks, and and draft some guys. Halapulu Vati Vaitai. <laughs> I've always been able to say that until, of course, the lights are on. Yeah. Uh, and nobody's home. So <laughs> offensive line depth with Lane Johnson getting suspended has, has become an issue. There's always injuries throughout the year. Every Monday night football broadcast, you're hearing John Gruden say, we move this guy over to guard. We, we switch this guy to the left side. And so everybody deals with it, I know. But I think you got to give Carson some Wentz some credit. And he's, he's dropping dimes out there still. If, we, if they can get some skilled players to complement him and an offensive line to keep him clean, he should uh, develop a pretty good career. I've watched these games, too, and I feel like the line's the biggest issue. Third-string tackle getting burned by Ryan Kerrigan on the biggest play of the game. But he needs some help, too. The receivers are not doing once any favors. He's hit a little bit of a wall. He's slumped a little bit as once. But I think if you get him some weapons, we'll be able to see. Defensively, it's a weird statistical year for the Eagle defense because they've put up some great numbers at times, but they've also had some setbacks as well. I, I think you're a team that is in transition, and honestly, it could have been worse. There were a lot of people expecting worse. So this isn't a great year, but I don't know what the expectations were inside of the Philly community. Yeah, I guess the expectations were right around maybe 6-10 and 10 or so heading into the season until they won three out of the first four games. <laughs> no, 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 and no, skyrocketed. people were talking playoffs, potential 10-6, and etc. So until the Cowboys just kind of took control of the, the division – and the Eagles started losing close games and then losing games big. They just seem to have lost confidence in themselves and have fallen back down to where our expectations were at the beginning of the year. All right, so now let's get to the actual previews for this week. And as we do on this show, and as it's been brutal the last couple weeks, our predictions of the lock, the game closer than we think, and the upset... This is one of the more interesting weeks because as we start to say lock, we're looking at teams that are actually fighting for their playoff lives. So with that in mind, with the track record of this show losing credibility each week, what's the lock of 
your week 15 picks? I think the lock that I'm going to go with is out of the NFC Central. They don't have that anymore. It's the NFC North. No, I wish they did, though, the black and blue division. (laughs) Absolutely. So it's coming out of that division, one of the greatest rivalries in the NFL, Packers, Bears. The Bears Mm. continue to give games away. Josh Bellamy making the, the truest of Bears fans. (laughs) <laughs> Cussing their basements. Aaron Rodgers loves to play against the Bears. They're fighting for their playoff lives, as you said. I think they go into Chicago. They go into Chicago and take care of business. They've been playing great on the road. I feel like Aaron Rodgers gets the, that group to play when their backs are against the wall, when they feel like everybody's against them. They kind of build that narrative in their heads and in their locker room, and they come out and destroy in December. Yeah, that's a good pick, and that's one that I actually was thinking about making. The Green Bay Packers are on a mission right now. They're trying to get to the playoffs. If they went out, even if the Lions don't stumble, they're probably going to make the playoffs, but one Lions loss in the next two weeks, and suddenly game 17 is for all the marbles. Yeah, I think Green Bay wins this game, I think, quite handily. And Rodgers, low-key MVP favorite. He's leading the league in touchdown passes this year. Devontae Adams has emerged as kind of the Randall Cobb guy in that offense to allow Jordy Nelson to do his thing on the outside. They're starting to figure that out roles for people, and it always seems to come when Eddie Lacy's on the shelf injured, and they have to make do with what they have. Throw wide receivers back there, Ty Montgomery becomes their lead running back, and just kind of rolling with the the punches and scrapping and winning games. They're a tough team to beat right now. Four and six when they were left for dead after getting beat by the Redskins, now seven and six against a favorable matchup in the Bears. My lock of the week, I just want a quick aside. We're not going to really address the Thursday night game. The show's going to go up after that game's been played. So if you're listening to this, you already know what happened. The Seahawks are 16-point favorites in that game, and I wouldn't feel comfortable betting on this one way or the other. <laughs> I'm just going to say that right there. This is a game that's always close. I know Jeff Fisher got fired. Having said that, Thursday night football, you never know what to expect. My lock of the week is going to be Falcons-Niners. I know that's kind of a cop-out. I think the line might be a little too high at two touchdowns at 14 points. But the Falcons are still playing for something. The the Niners aren't. I think if Julio Jones comes back, he could have a bang-up job against the depleted Niners secondary. And the Niners are a team that's obviously playing for next year. I like the Falcons handily in this one. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, selection. You know the Falcons have a tendency to maybe lose a big game here and there, but mm-hmm. they are on a roll this year. Compliments of Mohamed Sanu. Taylor Gabriel has emerged as a really good option for Matt Ryan oh, yeah. in that offense. If Julio Jones does not suit up, he proved that last week. And Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman, they're getting healthy. And, yeah, they could roll in this one. But watch out. The Niners put a first half together last week and decided that they weren't going to play anymore. So could be a good one. I don't, again, I don't, I don't know if the number's too big on the, this point spread, but well, the only thing that scares the me, NFL. Yeah, the only thing that scares me is Atlanta's defense is not that good. So if Kaepernick's running the ball well, if they can get some big plays, you wonder what you're going to expect from that Falcon defense, even against the poor team. But I feel pretty confident Atlanta's going to win this game. So still talk with Tom Weisenbach on the Money Mitch effect. Let's talk now about games that we think might be closer than expected. So with that in mind, the game this week, Tom, that you think from the outside looking in might seem like it's going to be a fairly easy win, but you think could be a little closer. So we're going to a team that 
is in one of the best divisions in football, the AFC West, against a team still fighting in one of the worst divisions in football. We're going to go with Tennessee Titans and Marcus Mariota keeping the game versus the Kansas City Chiefs close. I know the Chiefs have been rolling, emergence of Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey's continuing his dominance, Yeah, uh, Alex Smith making smart decisions, the running game not really missing a beat, and Andy Reid continuing to succeed in December. They still seem to be in close games every week, though. So I think Tennessee, that offense is a little underrated. We're starting to notice them uh, in the last few weeks. Mariota's really running that offense at a top level, and I just think that's going to be one that comes down to the wire. Yeah, you know, it's hard to disagree with that, uh, with Mariota just beating the Broncos last week. I shouldn't say Mariota. He didn't have the best game, but the team defense played a lot better. And they could keep it close. The Titans are a tough team to figure out. It's an intriguing pick because of how good the Chiefs have played. But you do wonder about that setback if the Chiefs are going to you know, come back to earth. Maybe they're riding a little too high after beating the Raiders and hearing all this good press. But here's one thing that worries me about that pick. We always talk about Andy Reid off of a bye week. This is like a longer week, about 10 days to prepare. So he might be you know, locked in here. And the Chiefs, you know, the one thing is the Chiefs have, have shown vulnerabilities at times. I don't know. I don't know what the passing attack's going to look like. Jeremy Macklin's back. Tyreek Hill's a weapon now. But what should we expect from this offense going forward? Some interesting question marks this week. I'm excited to see Marcus Mariota read Justin Houston on a, a zone read <laughs> and deciding Not whether to give it to DeMarco <laughs> yeah. Murray or yeah. take it and to see if he can make that decision and, yes, walk away from the battle. Oh, he's been a beast. He has been an absolute beast this year, Justin Houston, when he came back from his injury. It's a tough player, and that's a tough team. I'll say, and there's a lot of other good choices to make for what game should be closer than expected. I'm going to say my game is going to be, I like a closer game than expected, and I hate to even bring this up, but I think Jacksonville-Houston is going to be a dogfight. We probably wouldn't talk about it otherwise, but I don't think Houston's that good. I think it's the AFC South. Six and a half points is just ridiculous for this entire division. And as bad as the Jaguars have been, I don't think Houston, with their god-awful passing attack and Brock Osweiler, is going to look all that good either. <laughs> it's hard to defend, I know. Uh, I agree with you that Houston isn't as good as their record may seem, or just because their division, it's kind of like the Giants in the years that they survived the division and make a run in the playoffs, but I don't think Houston's capable of making a run in the playoffs. That's why I stayed in, in that division with my game in Tennessee. <laughs> is that somebody's going to have to step up and win the division, and it seems to be those two teams. The Colts aren't going to win at this point in time. Houston pulled out a win against Indianapolis on one of the later, the last plays of the ballgame. So if Houston's going to continue to win games like that, yeah, they could do it, but uh, Jacksonville doesn't seem to be that much of a threat this year. I'm waiting for Allen Robinson <laughs> to have a great game. He had 108 yards the last time these two teams faced each other. Blake Bortles can maybe engineer a comeback because, you know, that's, Always his bread and butter. Yeah, they're not going to win. I'm not picking the Jaguars to win this game, right. but three points is reasonable. That's where I draw the line. If Jaguar win, they're, they're awful. But A late Blake Bortles short of a comeback is what we're looking for, I think, in this game. All right, so now we want to get to the upset picks, and this is where it gets kind of juicy because the lines might not be that indicative, but there's some big games that we're looking at where an upset could absolutely cripple a team's playoff hopes. Who do you have this week going down as your upset pick? Uh, I've got a division that's near and dear to your heart. It's uh, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Ooh. 
Okay. No, I like this pick. Cincinnati's a three-point underdog in this game. They've proven that the loss of A.J. Green isn't affecting them as much as it would have earlier in the year when they were trying to figure out an identity offensively. Who would the go-to guys be? Boyd is really emerging in that offense. Jeremy Hill is, as a lead back at this point, is getting into a rhythm in games, getting 10, 15 carries instead of having to come out on third down for Giovanni Bernard. And the Steelers, after Le'Veon Bell put on the show that he put on this past week, and they're always capable of a magical run, I think Cincinnati can play with them. It's a division game. They're familiar with their opponent. They've faced... Antonio Brown and Le'Veon, many, many years. I think Geno Adkins is going to be up for this game, and it's going to be a dogfight. There's a lot of truth to that. The game scares me as an upset pick for one reason, and that's Cincinnati focus for four quarters. They can play with this team. They've shown they're not afraid, but it's a matter of can they make the necessary plays down the stretch. Pittsburgh, they're, they got focus issues themselves. They're going on the road against a team not very good. That spells disaster for whatever reason for the Pittsburgh Steelers, my upset pick, and I hate to pile on them and I hate to pile on friends of the program, but I'm going out west, AFC West, I like the Chargers to beat the Raiders. And you will remember this as well, Tom. I know the line's only about three and a half points. When these two teams played earlier this year, it was the Raiders that had to rally to win this game. It's a Raiders team that defensively is one of the bottom feeders in the NFL. I know Rivers has been brutal in this stretch. If he could put together a good game, Melvin Gordon's out. They're going to rely on him. If Rivers can get up and play well, I think they can win this one, and I think they can really swing the playoff picture in the AFC. That's an interesting pick. I was looking at that matchup as well and remembering the Chargers beating Denver on Thursday Night Football when everybody was counting them out. These were This was the, the times when Chargers were giving games away. I know the Raiders are... Coming off a loss to Kansas City, they also have faced a long week, so they've been able to prepare for this division matchup. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I do agree that the Chargers are fully capable of pulling off this upset. This is a division rivalry, and that's probably the best formula to make these upset picks like we did, is take the divisional game, the game when sometimes records don't tell the whole story. And I look at Rivers, who still has a lot to prove. He's coming off of one of his worst games of the year. Can they respond? Still talking with Tom Weisenbach on the Money Mitch Effect. And we're going to talk about some other games this week that weren't in our official picks. One game in particular, Tom, I want to talk to, might not get as much praise this week, but in terms of direct playoff ramifications, there's a lot riding on it, and that's Minnesota-Indianapolis. I think it's safe to say at this point in the year that the loser of this game is done. Yeah, and of course the Colts have a lot more to lose than than the Vikings. But uh, again, the Packers, we assume, are going to win against the Bears. Yeah, The Vikings will need this win to stay, keep pace with them. The Colts have been such a Jekyll Hyde team this year. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, ha- Half by half, quarter by quarter, which team's going to show up? Is T.Y. Hilton going to be a good player this quarter or not? Is, is Andrew Luck going to stay off of his back with uh, the amount of sacks that they've given up in that offensive line? I'll say this, though. The reason why I'm, I'm leaning Colts, actually, in this matchup Styles make fights. You can look at sports and and say the same thing in anything, boxing, hockey, what have you. The Colts have a very, very bad secondary. But the Vikings' offense has been very atrocious at this time of the year. The running game is not good. The passing game is not much better than that. I don't know that the Vikings have the personnel to make the plays to make the Colts pay. That being said, how can you trust either of these teams? How can you trust the Colts to put 
a complete football game together. If the Vikings lose this game, Tom, I think we don't see Adrian Peterson the rest of the year. That's, I'm calling. I don't think he's playing this week. As miraculous as his comeback's been, I would also say that they're going to shut him down probably if they don't win this game in lieu of what would be a big showdown with Green Bay the following week. That's a pretty good point there with Adrian Peterson looming the decision on what they're going to do with him. Would you think that they put him in in the second half if it's a close game? I don't think he's going to be active this week. That Man, that's tough. This is like the precursor. He said publicly he doesn't think he's going to play unless they're competing for something down the stretch. I don't know that I would activate him just as a safety policy, as an insurance policy. It'd be weird to have him just standing on the sideline ready to go and not really getting into a rhythm. You know the Vikings this year, Tom, worst running attack in the league? They don't have 1,000 yards total on their team. They haven't rushed for 1,000 yards, so it's... Very shocking to see that with the Vikings, especially given what they've done. With and AP. knowing Zimmer and his decision-making, if he's going to be active, he's going to play. Oh, yeah. If, that's, but that's I've learned never to bet against Adrian Peterson when returning from injury also. <laughs> so. He tore his meniscus like earlier in the he's season. Superhuman left knee. Ridiculous. Well, the other game in that division, Tom, the NFC North, a big one, Lions-Giants. And the Giants are favored by about four points as at the time of this recording. This is huge because the Giants win, and we can almost pencil them in right now to the playoffs. I think if they win, they're a lock for sure to get in. If the Lions win, you could probably do the same, win or lose the division. This is, we're almost securing a playoff spot with this game. How do you see this one shaping up? This is a matchup of two teams that you look at their records and say, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like they're going to make it, but are we sure they're They're that both 9-4? and four? What a strange year, 2016, strange times. Uh, the Lions have uh, proven that they can win close games. They're going into New York. The Giants have the weapons. I've always been weary of the Giants this year with the weapons that they have at their disposal with Odell Beckham Jr. You, all you have to do in this, NF- throw a slant. <laughs> in, in this NFL is throw a slant on first down, throw it deep on second down, get a pass interference penalty, and you're going down the field. And they have, uh, after the Vikings, I think they're bottom three as well, the Giants, and they're rushing attack. So they're doing all this without a ground game also. The Lions, are we... Oh man, I still am not ready to say this is a team that could get a bye in the playoffs. And they're the two seed right now. This is a big game, though. The Lions can't go into it thinking, oh, we're, we're in a good shape because it's a one loss in the next two weeks and Green Bay can steal the division right from them. I feel like... We're talking about the Giants' lack of running game, and we, we could say the same thing for the, the Lions. <laughs> and this a lot of the, teams in this league. This is the same, I don't know, they have each have the same wide receivers. They're deep there. Matthew Stafford kind of just makes magic happen late in games. We don't know how he'll do in an unfriendly environment in the cold in New York. I, I'm going to lean Giants with you. Yeah, and I also look at it as a strength-for-strength matchup. The Giants have a secondary. Janoris Jenkins played amazing last week. Landon Collins is having a great year. They put a lot of money into that secondary, and it's starting to pan off. I like the Giants here. And that's Five and one as an underdog, the Detroit Lions I know. I keep, it's a good thing I haven't been riding the, the betting wave against them because they've been proving us wrong all year. This is their chance to do it again. Let's go to the AFC, the Saturday night game, the Thursday night football on Saturday night game. Jets and Dolphins. The Jets, we kind of know what to expect from them. It was a nice comeback win to screw themselves out of a higher draft pick last week against the Niners. But the Dolphins are going to have to do this game. They're going to have to win a game in a division rivalry without their starting quarterback to keep their playoff hopes pretty much afloat. Can Matt Moore lead this Dolphins team to a win, Tom? On NFL Fantasy Live, we did a segment on 
in 2011. Matt Moore helped senior fantasy analyst Michael Fabiano win a fantasy championship. Oh, good times. <laughs> so he's done it in the past. Let's just okay. say that. I don't think he'll do it again. This is a tough one for me because the Jets are awful, and they're still trying to figure out if Bryce Petty's the guy to go with. Should we activate Christian Hackenberg? I think they're going to go with Bryce Petty in this game. It's going to be a matter of who runs the ball best and who play who turns the ball over less. It's going to be ugly, and I don't know yeah. that the fans are going to like this one. Matt Moore, he cannot turn the ball over. I can't stress that enough. I'm going to go Jets here as well, though. I think the Dolphins were a feel-good story early on. They didn't hit the meat of their schedule. And last week's win, as great and improbable as it was, was one of the wackiest, weirdest games of the year. It was raining, all the special teams blunders. The Cardinals were kind of self-imploding. Yeah, I think the Jets, the last time they played on national TV, were embarrassed. They want to rectify that on Monday Night Football. They, they played against the Colts and just were boat raced. <laughs> I know this In a game the, uh, where Scott Van Pelt, after the show, thanked the viewers for sticking around, if they did. I uh, was a ratings killer, too. I mean, oh. He had to be the most furious man in television. Absolutely. <laughs> Still talking Tom Weisenbach on the Money Mitch Effect Week 15 NFL Preview. This is the biggest game I'm looking forward to, Tom, and that's Patriots-Broncos. Now, New England is still, as great as they've looked, the class of the AFC. They still do not have that top seed locked up. They still don't actually have that buy locked up yet. But the Broncos are playing for much more of their playoff lives with the hardest schedule remaining of any team in the NFL. That said, Denver plays New England tough. Can they steal this one? Can they beat the Patriots again for the second straight year? No. Okay, come on. All right. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) I think that you know Tom Brady is Tom Brady. If they're if there's something to play for, he's going to roll. I don't think this is the same Denver Broncos team that won the Super Bowl last year. They are in a tough division, and we think at this point in time that the Raiders and Chiefs are the class of that division. Mm -hmm. The Broncos may come out, and it may be a time warp where it's Peyton versus Tom Brady again. I still think the Patriots, no matter, even though it's in Denver, they're going to go home, go there and take care of business. Yeah, it's tough for me to, to look at the Broncos as a team that could win. I know if you're a New England fan, you have your guard up anytime these two teams play. But the injuries, man. I think a fully healthy Denver team with C.J. Anderson at, the, at, at running back without some of the injuries they've had on the line into the defense could beat New England. Trevor Simeon has not looked that great in recent weeks. New England defense, not perfect. But again, it's the running game. Their front seven is not that good. But I just don't think with Booker and with uh, whoever else, now it's what, Forsett? I, I can't, he fumbled on his first play, <laughs> his, return to, his return to the Kubiak offense. I like New England to win this game. Aqib Tlaib did tweet out pictures of him tackling various members of the Patriots, <laughs> so there is that oh, factor. Like, and they, the defense and special teams are making plays for them to make up for their lack of offensive efficiency. And so he will fight if he wants to. So <laughs> he is gonna, He's a wild card. Uh, that's the other side, though, on a serious note. Denver defense has been taking a lot of penalties in recent weeks. I know they're one of the most penalized teams in football. Can't give Brady free yards in that offense. It's just a dangerous, dangerous affair. I like the Pats in this one to keep pace as the top team in the AFC. The NFC showdown of the week, Tom, as we conclude this NFL preview, week 15, Cowboys and Bucks on Sunday night. I'm really excited, and I've been a perpetual Buccaneers doubter this season. This is their showtime. This is their primetime game. Can they have a great presentation in front of the world against a Dallas team that 
suddenly struggling. Suddenly struggling. Yeah, suddenly can look at one week. Suddenly struggling. The matchups in this game, though, and I'll say this before I make my pick, they do favor the Cowboys, and I think Tampa Bay has been getting beat on the ground the last couple weeks. They've been able to to play some great football, but I like Elliott to have a big game here. I'm not necessarily sure they're going to win, but this is a Zeke Elliott game if there ever there was one. Absolutely. I think the back end of Tampa Bay's defense has been clinching games for them. Vernon Hargraves making plays at cornerback. Dallas lost the Giants twice. It's the only team that could beat them. Can Tampa recreate the blueprint to beat them? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. You don't know? No, I mean, the biggest thing with, with this Dallas team offensively, how bad they've been on third down, which has just been atrocious. One of the worst in the league the last couple of years. And that could change it if Dak makes a mistake, throws a ball away to their defense. Mike Evans is going to have to make plays this game, and he's going to have tar- to be superhuman. He gets targeted more than anyone. I mean, he's a, he's a beast. He's one of the top five receivers in football now. I just think, first for the Cowboys, the biggest thing with third down that I'm noticing, these are all third long. So what do you do? What would I do to adjust that? Run Zeke more on first and second. Make it easier for Dak on third and, and not have those third and eight third longs. But the other side of that is the Tampa Bay offense. Jameis Winston is a great leader, can make big plays. But the decision-making has been questionable at times. If he throws some picks, if he takes chances, this Cowboy defense is nothing if they're not opportunistic. Yeah, that's the great unknown is when the turnovers occur and how they're going to affect the game. I do still like Tampa Bay in this game. I don't know if it's because of my Cowboy hatred (laughs) or not. Maybe it's Cowboy jealousy at this point. I'm going to say Cowboys, and here's my caveat with this game. I think Tampa Bay was rooting hard for a Cowboy win last week. Dallas could have clinched just about everything last week. Now they're playing for a lot. I like Dallas in this one. Atlanta, even if Atlanta wins, Tampa Bay's still going to be 8-6 fighting for a playoff spot, division, or wild card. I just don't know how many more 16-11, 14-5 games they could win. If Dallas runs the ball effectively, which they should, then I could see where that happens. I just think that Vernon Hargraves is going to make a big play late in the game. Mike Evans is going to catch... A 30-plus yard touchdown in this one, and the Buccaneers are going to win the game. Well, at the start, when they've won these games, they've gotten out to great starts. The offense has kind of sputtered down the stretch, but their defense, the secondary, holds on. If Dallas takes the lead early, I really like the Cowboys' chances to win this. <laughs> it's hard to bet against them at this point at 11-2 and two with one team in the league only able to beat them. Yeah, sometimes some teams just have I think the number. Cowboys are... Hoping the Lions beat the Giants this week, actually, too, because if I think Cowboys fans are a little worried down the line in the playoffs, if that happens again, the Giants and the Cowboys could could playoffs. happen. I know three times in a season that would be unprecedented. But well, with Tom Weisenbach on the Money Mitch Effect, before we wrap this up, let's talk a little bit about our teams. This will be the caveat. Do in your perspective, Eagles, Ravens, could play spoiler here. Could play spoiler to the Ravens. I know we're looking at next year already, but is this a game that the Eagles could come out with the upset? The Eagles and the Ravens seem to play close games every time they play. John Harbaugh being a former special teams coach with the team, he gets up for this game. I don't think the cornerbacks and safeties are consistent enough to stay with the likes of Brashad Perryman, who is emerging as a down-the-field threat for, for Baltimore, and we know Joe Flacco can air it out and likes to those quick slants with, mm-hmm. with Mike Wallace that could go for big yardage. I know tackling has become an issue 
it has always really been an issue with the back end of, of the Eagles in the last five to six years. Uh, still, I love Carson Wentz. I love to watch this kid play. And if he can just get the ball out quicker and if the receivers catch the ball, Zach Ertz could be an X factor in this one as yeah. a check down Charlie. He seems to always come out in December. I do have two questions about the Eagles. First, with Wentz. Do you think this love is influenced by just what you've seen at that position in the last couple of years? Because I'm a big Wentz fan, too. But I know what it's like to root for a team that has had just very poor quarterback options. Yeah, I think at this point, I was try- I'm was i been trying to figure out what modern-day NFL quarterback most reminds me of Carson Wentz or what his career will end up being. And right. I've tried to ask if it's Joe Flacco or could it be Aaron Rodgers. Like, those are the two tracks that he could go on. Be an all-time numbers guy or be a guy who's tough, wins games, not going to be pretty every week, yeah, but he's won good. a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's... That's what I'm kind of struggling with as far as the career outlook of Carson Wentz. And I, it, every week, we're all looking for next next season as Eagles fans. If they can fill a few of the holes this year, then who knows? And Ertz is the other one. He's gotten kind of... I didn't even realize this. I mean, you obviously know better than me. I didn't realize he was kind of not very popular with the Philadelphia area, with the Philadelphia media. Is he, You know, when he played good last week, but is he somebody that... You feel comfortable relying on, or is it something about his game that makes you think, well, I just don't know about this guy? I think the thing about Zach Ertz is his demeanor is not one that is not <laughs> Philly friendly. We know he may be trying hard, but it doesn't seem like he he feels it. He has kind of gotten into a little bit of a beef with a media member, Jimmy Kemsky, over the fact that he keeps tweeting that Zach Ertz has not broken a tackle in his career, which, if you watch our games, he doesn't really do that. I didn't realize the Philly Twitter handle did Ertz break a tackle, like they did the Sixers win. Oh, really? Did that emerge? It's gotten to that point. That's what really alerted me to that level. You never want to feed with Philly media. You can go down the litany of what has happened. The other thing, during the Cincinnati Bengals game, there was a, a GIF that came out, GIF, GIF, whatever you'd like to call them these days. Silent G, Silent G, whatever. So there was one of those that came out during the game of Ertz kind of olaying a block on a Carson Wentz run when he was running out of bounds, oh, no. <laughs> which el- erupted a firestorm of questions at his locker on Wednesday, trying to defend his actions, but he, he was trying to block Vontez perfect. So you you're going save, your, save yourself there. Well, I'll say the Eagles can make this close. It's just hard for me to pick them to win this game. Baltimore is a tough team. They're playing for something. I think they're going to bounce back. They've, you know, they had the losing streak in the middle of the season, but they're playing pretty well right now. Losing to the Patriots, the Patriots is not that big of an embarrassment there. And I'll wrap it up with my team, the Browns. Oh, God. The Browns going into a game against Buffalo. This is one of two games left that I think they could have a chance to make competitive. My only hope is that Buffalo just implodes in that game. Taylor's probably not going to be back. Ryan's definitely not going to be back. Maybe the Browns can keep it close. Some fluky things could happen and get their first win. We're praying. We're praying over here. <laughs> Dan Patrick has a bet with his cohorts, the Danettes, that if the Browns win a game, they got to spin the wheel of punishment. He, Dan, he thinks that they'll win a game. Is Robert Griffin the third-year quarterback? No, no, not at all. Cody Kessler, your quarterback? He's Cody Kessler is the Browns' backup, I think, for the next five to ten years. Josh McCown? No. Your quarterback? No, none of those guys are, are in the future. Johnny Manziel back there still? Yeah, he's the last guy to win. He's the last guy to win for the Browns. Don't think I've been reminded of that. Wow. 
I like the Browns to keep this close or just because what they can do is hopefully run the ball. Crowell and Duke Johnson can have a good game against the Bills rushing in defense that was just obliterated last week by Le'Veon Bell. And I'm hoping the Bills are on that checkout mode. And that's what I'm hoping. So we'll see. It's tough. It's been a tough, tough couple of months, tough couple of years, decades, if you will, for Browns fans. I'll tell you what, as a fantasy owner, I'm rooting for Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> Sorry, but... I just can't believe you're having to start him. That, that says more about your roster if you're starting Tyrod this week. Stafford, Bortles, mm-hmm. Tyrod. Mm-hmm. Wow, murderers row. We'll see. But Tom Weisenbach, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. It was good chatting football. I'm actually facing friend of the podcast, Brandon Marcus, oh. this week in the semifinals <laughs> of he, the league. And he won his league last year, so it's uh, he's going to be tough to beat. We, I'm not going to pick sides, though. I'm not going to get into a war. I'm neutral on the... Uh, Friends of Podcast Fantasy Matchups. I'm Switzerland. <laughs> so, Tom, thanks again for joining the show. No problem. Thanks, Mitch. Big thanks to Tom Weisenbach and Bradford Bruns, both guests, for coming on the show, taking time out of their busy days to talk football with me. I really appreciate them for doing it. And as always, I appreciate every listener out there for checking out the show, The Money Mitch Effect, which can be found on SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. And on a serious note, I just want to say, rest in peace, Craig Sager and Alan Thicke. Well, I didn't know either of those men personally. As someone trying to make my mark in the media and entertainment industry, I look up to the older guys, to the generations above me, and the standards that they set. And those were two of the best reputations in the entire industry. And two opposite ends of the spectrum, Craig Sager was a fixture in the NBA that will never be duplicated and will always, always be cherished. And Alan Thick, I was a Growing Pains fan growing up. I looked up to the standard he said he was a hockey guy. I'm a huge hockey fan. And knowing that both those guys had the support circle around them, death is never an easy thing to deal with. But I'm happy that their family members and their loved ones were able to cherish those final moments with them. I just want to say rest in peace. I'm going to be missing them. You know, the world's going to be you know, missing their presence on it. Thank you again for listening to The Money Mitch Effect. Next week will be jam-packed with shows. I hope you enjoy the weekend. Keep watching sports. And try to get your Christmas shopping done in between the games, if you can. Mitch Michael signing off. Thanks for listening.